uh, I'll meet you in the book of Genesis tonight. We go back to the beginning of the Bible, not to the very beginning story, but I do want to go back to some of those early stories in the Old Testament. I want to kind of open tonight with two thoughts um, that are not theological thoughts. They're not scriptural thoughts. They're just things that I um, communicate to you as my friends. And the first one is that I am going to tell you up front that I'm taking a sermon and a thought that you've probably heard me preach before. That's something I don't always do. And I'm reworking it a little bit. Um, so you're being a little bit of guinea pigs. And uh, that's good. I do that to you a lot. We rework a message. We rework a passage. Work through the text and see where the Spirit leads us. And the second thing is that uh, this is not in any way focused to this room. I really sensed that it's the kind of word someone will come across as they go through YouTube or go through our website or listen to our podcast that might not be in this room, but that needs to hear this because I don't presume that there's a lot of religious activity in this room among you. I don't presume that you are um, in any way assuming that your performance gets you anything with God or that you have to jump through spiritual hoops to receive favor or that your anointings and your gifts and your talents are on a precarious edge with the Father that at any moment your foolishness will push it off the edge and God will go, okay, now fend for yourself. I don't think we got at that issue in this room. I think we might, maybe you've been there. Um, if you're like me, you've been there. You've spent a significant chunk of your Christianity in some mode resembling that, but I don't think that's the case here. However, some of what we're going to talk about tonight deals with that very thought. And so I say that to you, knowing that that isn't us, but you realize that it is so many people and that it is okay to hear that again, even if it's not you. It's okay to hear the things you need to stay equipped because even if you're not in that situation, that's so easy to slip back into in some ways of your life is feeling like you've got to earn this thing. You've got to perform for love or for favor. I know you know that you don't, but let's realize that many don't know that. So let's pray the liberty of that word into the hearer tonight as well. And I do believe there are some things, especially as we really unpack some of this a little deeper into the word tonight, that will speak some things to you because it spoke things to me and I don't feel like I'm earning anything from God. But some of this spoke some very powerful things to me about my own journey and that's where I hope we can land tonight and we'll take it all the way up to the cross where Jesus paid our price. I want to talk to you tonight from Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 28. And I want to minister to this evening on the ladder you climb. And I say that as a title and I worked that title over because I had a group inclusive pronoun, the ladder we climb when I was thinking about this. But then I thought, no, I want, I want to personalize it because it's the ladder you climb, because nobody ever climbs a ladder in pairs. Ladder climbing is a solo activity. Don't try it with two people. That's, a, that's not a good idea to go, let's both climb this ladder at the same rung at the same time. That's probably not smart. Uh, so a ladder climber is a solo activity, and it's interesting because we're going to check out Genesis, or we're going to check out Jacob in the wilderness who gets a dream of a ladder, and it's a solo activity, and it's not God speaking to two people or three people at the same time. While the Word of God works in the collective, the ecclesia of the church, that's the called out ones. That's all of us who are ones 
brought together to be multiples in the same room. That's the church. The word works for the church. It works in a group. That's why we preach it in groups. That's why we hear it in groups. But it, it practically gets lived out in the solo. You take this word in a group, you discuss it, you chew it over, you wrestle with it together. Maybe Q&A, maybe you talk over it, maybe you testify. But when you go out into the world, you take it by yourself and you take all of that collective stuff from church and you put it into your day-to-day walk where it's you and him. And in that sense, Christianity is a bit solo. Not that you're by yourself, but your day-to-day walk is you and Jesus. Even if you're married, even if you're with your parents or you're with your kids, you really don't have the responsibility for other souls but your own. And so you're walking this out by yourself. And so uh, when I, that's why I say the ladder you climb because... It's your work, it's your walk, it's you doing it. When we say that, we often think in terms of spiritually moving upward into greater things. Ladder climbing is used like a metaphor, an allegory for going deeper into the things of God or going higher into the realm of the heavens. And usually when we think about ladder climbing or think about things along those lines, we think in terms of I'm getting closer to God every day, I'm walking this out with him every day. And I want to just scratch that for a minute because I don't believe that God is summoning you up step by step into higher heights and deeper depths with God. Or as my Pentecostal heritage used to say, new levels, new devils, all those clever things. Like if you move into a new level with God, you get a new devil. And I got to where I was like, well, I think I've had enough levels then. I mean, if I can still get to heaven on this level, I don't want a new level if I got a new devil. I mean, why in the world would I invite more chaos into my life? And they go, well, yeah, but new levels means more of God, which I always thought was a little bit cheap. Like God was holding back some things from me because I hadn't climbed enough of the ladder. And I know that sounds comedic, but frankly, I think a lot of Christians are still there. And I don't think we're all that far off of that a lot of times of thinking like, I just need to climb this ladder of, of perseverance or fasting or Bible study or prayer or giving or just showing God how serious I am and just work a little bit harder. And that if I do, I'll get to a level in God I'm not at today. And that led to stuff like this. Well, old brother so-and-so is so anointed because he's paid a greater price. Oh, brother so-and-so is so anointed because he's stepped into a higher place with God. And that left the rest of us just feeling pretty stupid and condemned. Like, boy, you know, if I'd prayed better or gave a little more or had a little more time in my life to devote to God, I could be as close to God as that. And I think all of that just stinks of, of religion and it stinks of, of self. And I don't think it's the way it ought to be. And I think that we can walk through the Word tonight and show that you do indeed have a ladder to climb but it might not be exactly what you thought it was. And if we could figure out which ladder to climb and what it means to climb it, well, then we'd have something. Let's read a story that probably is the Bible's most famous ladder story. How many of them are there? Not many. There's not many. There might be more allegorically, though, than you think. We're going to explore a little bit. Genesis chapter 28, verse 10 Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head and he lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. 
And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. I want to pause here for a moment to make sure that we catch the details of the 12th and 13th verse. Very important for purposes of understanding this vision. He has a dream or a vision, whichever one you'd like. It says a dream. Is he asleep? It appears that he is. In either case, this isn't natural. This is supernatural. And the dream has a ladder set up on the earth. The top reaches to heaven and angels are running up and down this ladder. We don't know what that looks like. Maybe there's some sort of staircase, but whatever the vision is, God's at the top, Jacob's at the bottom, and angels are going up and down, and the Lord speaks to him from the top of the ladder that he's going to give him the land that he's on. And before I read any further, I want to point out one thing that's very easy to miss, and that is that God speaks to him only of what's going to happen at the bottom of the ladder. God never speaks to him about what's supposed to happen at the top of the ladder. And yet when we preach spiritual ladders, we're always going up because we have this idea that the best stuff's up there. But in this story, the best stuff is being spoken as if it's going to be down here, not over there. God at the top of the ladder speaks to Jacob and says, I'm going to bless you there. I'm going to bless your descendants there. I'm going to give you the land there. And so out of the gate in our first ladder sermon, God does not say to Jacob, Come on up. I got better stuff for you up here. Get on that ladder. Climb on up. Instead, God speaks to Jacob right where he is and makes promises to him right where he is and promises that the stuff that's going to happen to him right where he is is heaven downward, not earth upward. And so there's no challenge from God to Jacob going, come on up here, buddy, you and me. Instead, it's right where you are. I'm going to do this blessing. Verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I've done what I've spoken to you. Look at the, uh, the phrase at the beginning of verse 15. Does God say, behold, I will be with you? No, God says, behold, I am with you. And again, God's at the top of a ladder speaking down the ladder, not an invitation to come up here and I'll be with you, but rather I'm already with you. 16, Jacob woke from his sleep, said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? And watch this statement. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And in spectacular fashion, Jacob hits on one of the most important premises in the Bible that God has set himself in the heavens not as someone to be ascended to but as someone who has prepared the earth for his arrival not us going up a ladder but God coming down a ladder I think Jacob nails it when he goes this is the gate of heaven and he doesn't say the gate of heaven is at the top of that ladder I saw. I got to get to the top of that ladder, but instead has a revelation of God to go. The gate of heaven is at the bottom of this ladder. The gate of heaven is right here. And I think it's so easy to miss this. But from the very earliest pages of the Bible, God is showing mankind that his desire is not to bring you to higher levels. 
His desire was to come down to your level. I'm going to cut through the fat tonight. All right? Right to the chase. God is not offended by man. He's not turned off by him. He's not upset with him. He's not ticked off. The guy that's in this story just lied to his parents, cheated his brother out of his inheritance, and got kicked out of his homeland. And when God shows up to him, he doesn't tell him, I'm sick of it. I'm tired of your attitude. I really want to change you. Get on that ladder and get to my level. Instead, he puts a ladder on the earth and begins to speak into the man's life. And how the man saw God was, this is the gate of the heavens. This is where I had my God encounter. And I wonder why we miss this as we work our way through the Bible when this ought to set the precedent for how we see God. That God finds us in the middle of our problems, finds us in the middle of our failures, finds us in the middle of whatever's wrong with us, and does not invite us up the ladder spiritually. Clean up your life. Get better. Read more Bible. Give a little more. Witness a little harder. Build bigger churches. Go, mis- go be a missionary to China. Prove to me that you love me. Prove to me that you're my child. Instead, he comes down the ladder. His revelation comes down the ladder. And the end result is Jacob realizing this is where heaven meets the earth. This is the gate of heaven. What if the gate of the heavens is not in some far off place? Just over in the glory land. What if the gate of the heavens is the exact place you set your foot that God has designed to come to you in the middle of your failure, in the middle of your problems, and scratch that even. He's decided to come to you in the middle of your goodness, in the middle of your attempt at religion and performance, wherever you are. Because I think sometimes we always relegate God showing up to sinners. People living bad and living horrible lives. Well, He loves you. He comes to you right where you are. But the reality is, is that we're all fallen and failed. He comes to you in the middle of you trying to live right too. He comes in the middle of you being all churchy. (laughs) He comes to you in the middle of you being religious and goes, I don't know what you're doing, but I'll come to you because this stuff ain't ever going to get you to me. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm trying my best. He goes, I know we're all trying our best. Your best ain't going to cut it. So rather than put the gate to heaven way over there, I brought the gate of heaven way down here. Because I figured if I didn't bring the gate all the way to you, you're never getting in. Hey guys, this is the core of the gospel. If I don't bring the gate all the way to you, you ain't getting in. If I put the gate over there and then give you a roadmap, you ain't getting in. If I put the gate just over in the glory land, you ain't getting in. But if I put the gate next to your hell... You got a shot. All you got to do is walk through the door. I'm going to make it so easy to where you don't have to take a thousand steps to me. I'll take a thousand steps to you. I'll drop the gate of heaven right in the midst of where you are. And I'll stand next to the door. And then when Jesus comes along, he goes, behold, I am the door. And if any man wants in, all he's got to do is come in through me. And where's the door? Wherever Jesus is. And then lo and behold, the gospels have Jesus going into prostitutes' houses and got him hanging out with lepers and sinners. Why does he keep doing this? Because it's the heart of God to put the gate of heaven right up next to hell. It's all God's want. Why? Because he loves his kids. And he knows if he puts the gate over there, you're not going to get in. There's just no way you're going to get in. And so it doesn't lower, we we got this idea that somehow this lowers the standards of heaven. 
what does that mean? Lowers the standards, that lowers God's holiness. If he can put up with sin, it lowers God's holiness. No, if, if he doesn't put up with our sin, he doesn't get to communicate with us. He never gets to deal with us if he can't put up with our sin. What kind of a parent has to make their kid climb the ladder to get their love? Wouldn't you put the gate right where they can reach it? And that's the Father. And so that's the heart. That's the heart of this passage. Now, for a long time, I saw this passage. This is what I mean because I'm reworking a passage. For a long time, I, I've, I've seen this as the Old Testament version of an Old Covenant message where God puts a ladder and stands at the top. And when God's at the top, that would, necessar- that would necessitate climbing to get to God. And then when you get to John 1... Jesus meets Nathanael, very beginning of the fourth gospel. And Nathanael, Jesus says to him, Oh, behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. And Nathanael goes, Wow, how did you know me? We've never even met. And Jesus says, If that amazes you, get ready. Because if you're shocked that I knew you and we hadn't met, you're about to see stuff to blow your mind because angels are going to ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. And Jesus uses an old Jewish story Genesis 28. Angels ascending and descending, going up and down a ladder. But in Jesus' story, he's standing at the bottom. He says they're going to ascend and descend upon the Son of Man. That means Jesus is standing at the bottom of the ladder. And how I've preached that for a long time is that when God shows that to us in Genesis, God's at the top of the ladder, and that our thought process is we've got to climb to Him. But when we see that ladder in Jesus, Jesus is at the bottom of the ladder because God has descended the ladder. And the difference in an old covenant is you've got to climb, and the difference in a new covenant is He's already climbed down. Well, I want to amend that a little bit. I like that imagery. In fact, I think Jesus intentionally has the angels going up and down on him so that you can realize he's not up there all right that's important because if the angels are ascending and descending on jesus then god has come down the ladder and to me that's the new covenant god has come down the ladder but what i've missed a lot of times in this story is that based on the verbiage of god and jacob their conversation God's spirit and God's love and God's promise was already down the ladder. It's just that we've confused the ladder. We see a ladder and we think, climb to get to God. But when God puts a ladder, he doesn't put it so you can climb to him. He puts it so that you'll realize he's climbing to you. So that you will see that God brings to you everything that it is that you need. Now, I want to, if you'll indulge me for a second, when, the, when, the, when I started working this story again for the 10,000th time and going back over this and thinking over, man, what, what God is saying at the top of that ladder and how his spirit comes down that way, puts his gate right up next to wherever I am, that's exciting to me. I, it means that God's not waiting around for Paul White to get stuff right. And if he's not waiting around for me to get stuff right, insert your name there. God's not waiting around for you to get stuff right. And you better be thankful for that, because if he was waiting for you to get stuff right, well, good luck, all right? So you're not getting anything. That's the point. You're not getting anything from God, because as much as you think you got right, be careful. There's a bunch of stuff you just aren't ready to deal with yet that you're getting wrong. And thank God we have a Father who loves us in the midst of all of our wrong, all right? So as long as we're on the same page, that you're not getting anything because you got it right, then that means good news, God came down to you. 
Now, I had that, um, and I had that title, The Ladder You Climb, because I want you to realize before we're done that there actually is one in the, in the word that we climb. There is, a, there is an ascent, in other words. There's not just waiting on him to descend. And the power of music is so incredible. Like, you remember, you, hear a, you can hear a song. It takes you back to a place when you were a kid. But also, you can say a line just right, and it'll be from a song. You know, someone will say something to you, and you, you, there's a song lyric that goes with that, and then that song will get in your head, even if they weren't singing it. You know what I'm talking about? Um, and that's generational, I know. Depends on what kind of music you heard. But it depends on what song, kind of song comes in your head. When I was a kid, growing up in the church, uh, we did a song called They're Holding Up the Ladder. I don't know if anyone else ever heard that song. I am not going to sing it to you. <laughs> you would never want to hear it again. Um, I'm not cutting the song down. I'm not mocking the song. I don't know who wrote it. But this, as this sermon started to come out in me, the old song came back to me. And so I sat there working on this message and realized that I could still hear all of the chorus to the song. And then when I looked it up, I could remember all the lyrics to the verses of the song. Now, you, now it's just a song. But how many of you know that our songs, in a lot of ways, become our theology? Because we sing our songs and then we sing them again and we sing them again and we sing them again. Now we've got them memorized. Then we sing them away from church. Now we're doing, here, here's the power of worship and power of music. We're doing more theology with the song during the week than we did with the sermon because we only can remember one line or two lines from the sermon without listening to it again. We might remember the text. We might remember the title. And if he told a funny story, we might be able to botch that at the barbershop when we retell it. But we can try. But the songs, that lives on. This is why it is essential, was essential for the Hebrew people to know the book of Psalms. Because the book of Psalms spoke about God. It spoke about lament. It spoke about praise. It spoke about God's goodness. It spoke about creation. It spoke about prophecy. It's why Jesus goes to the cross and sings the 22nd Psalm from the cross. Because his people knew the 22nd Psalm and they would at least recite it. They're standing at the bottom of the cross humming it realizing that that psalm was being fulfilled in front of them. That's the power of music. So this is why if the lyrics inform, they bless. But if the lyrics lead you astray, they can stay with you as bigger theology than your text. So when I think of they're holding up the ladder, I think of this. They're holding up the ladder that I'm climbing on. I'm climbing up the ladder and I'm going home. At the top of the ladder, oh, what joy there shall be as the angels are holding up the ladder for me. That's the chorus. So that kind of got stuck in my head this week. And I thought, or t today really, and I thought, hmm, I'm going to go back and read some of these lyrics and find out. Cause what, what was the ladder of my childhood? What was the Christian ladder of my childhood? Because I realized that it might be, whether you knew this song or not, that it might be the Christian ladder of your life. Like this is how you heard this Ladder. As I climb the gospel ladder, always heeding every sign, I know my Savior's with me, and He's teaching me to climb. Every day that I'm climbing, there's a battle for me. Every step on the ladder is another victory. So, my theology grew to be that the ladder was the battle of Christianity, 
and that as I ascended closer to God, I had to defeat whatever it was that was in front of me for that day. That led me to the theology of new levels, new devils. Because if you go up to another rung, you got another devil there. Like you didn't know he existed, but now you're, you've been reading more Bible. So you can, and we would say this, you've been reading more Bible, so you can handle more. You've been getting closer to God, so God knows you can take more. And so it's almost like God had little demons in cages. <laughs> and then as you got to a new level, he'd uncage a bigger beast and go, okay, she can handle it now, go get her. And, but you're climbing up that ladder, holding on. There's a mansion being built for me somewhere in glory land. And this ladder that I'm climbing is a part of the plan. I can hear the angels beckoning to keep climbing, don't stop. There's a crown of life awaiting when you finally reach the top. And I believed very much in mansion building theology. God's at the top of the ladder building great big houses. And for all of us who can survive the climb, we get to go. But if you stop, you don't make it. And I had a theology of salvation is constantly moving forward. Anywhere that, where there is not a constant moving forward, you will take a step back. And if you take enough steps back, you'll slide all the way back down that ladder. And you might as well have never even been saved because it'd be worse to have known him and left him than to have never known him at all. Sound familiar? Come on, you Christian soldiers. Show the world your light can shine. Get on his gospel ladder and don't be afraid to climb. Can't you hear the angels cheering? Soon the battle will be over and we'll celebrate the victory when we reach the other shore. Now, not cutting it down, but that, that song was so indicative of my Christian life and my Christian theology. Battles, climbing, beating new devils, hold on. Angels are supporting you. Jesus is building you a big house. When you get home, you'll shout the victory. You finally made it. Ladder climbing is why we had revivals. Ladder climbing is why I read my Bible. Ladder climbing is why I prayed. Because I believed that I was journeying upward towards Him in this great battle of the faith. I no longer believe I'm climbing a spiritual ladder to get home. And here's why. First of all, I believe that God in Genesis 28 opens the gate of his heavens at the bottom of the ladder and speaks to us that heaven is coming to wherever you are. I believe that is manifested in the man Christ Jesus. Angels are going to ascend and descend upon me. You're going to see the great and the miraculous. That as I spend time with Jesus, I realize that if there's any spiritual ladder to climb, I must have to climb it with the Son of God because He came down that ladder to reach me. And I don't believe that Jesus sped up the spirit ladder so He could put on His gospel tool belt and start building houses and then called me up the ladder so I can get to where He is. Why bother to come down here to bring heaven to me if you then abandon me so that I can somehow try to find my way to heaven by doing a bunch of ladder climbing? And the gospel message of God to Jacob was, right where you are, I'm going to bless you. And the gospel message of Jesus to all of us is, I've come right down here to bless you, to bring heaven into this place that you are. And then, Luke chapter 23 I realize that when you get to the cross, you do not get a ladder story. But when you get to the cross, 
you need a ladder. And what I mean by that is the cross is the ascendant peak of Christianity, not heaven. We like to think heaven is the peak. That's where we're going. Heaven can be a destination. Heaven can be a, you could, you could talk about heaven as penetrating the earth or butted up next to the hell that you live in, whatever. But the cross is the apex place of Christianity. It's the hill that is climbed so that we enter into the death with God, with Jesus at Calvary. That's the cross. So it becomes the peak. Let me say this again. Heaven is not the peak of Christianity. The cross of Jesus Christ is the peak of Christianity. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw into myself. And I think he's saying, I'll draw judgment into myself. I think he's also saying, I'll draw. I draw from the pinnacle. Because you don't draw from beneath, but you draw from above. And where is his above? Calvary. And so Jesus puts the cross beam on his shoulder and he walks up that hill. And he dies on that cross. And he dies in between two criminals. And you know the story. On one side, one man mocks Jesus. And on the other side, the man is sympathetic with Jesus. And maybe it's a type of all of us. I think it's actually a type of all of us. I think there are seasons of our lives where we mock him, where we shun him, where we turn away from him. I think there are seasons of our lives where we turn to him out of desperation. I do not believe that you're either one or the other of the criminals on the cross. I think you are both. You and I are both criminals on the cross. We just depends on what day you catch us. And Jesus turns in Luke chapter 23, verse 42, the man says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is the token appearance of this word in the New Testament, paradise. But it is not the token appearance of this word in the Greek Old Testament. It's just that Jesus is using a word that doesn't get rehashed again because it almost is as if it belongs to him. The Old Testament Hebrew word Eden is translated paradise. And when Jesus dies at Calvary and says to the criminal, today you shall be with me in paradise, we've often thought what Jesus meant was that today you get to go to heaven with me. And I don't doubt that wherever they went next, they went together. And you can call that place heaven or you can call that place paradise. But the reference is all the way back to the paradise garden of God. As Jesus says to the criminal, today you and I get to go back into the garden that man has not been in since the beginning. Today you get to be with me in paradise. In other words, the door back into the heavens happens at the top of this ladder climb this ladder up to the cross you get to go into paradise and i think it's the same message that god delivers to jacob genesis 28 as god looks down from the ladder at jacob and says i'm going to bless you where you are and jesus comes down the ladder in john 1 and says i'm going to bless you where you are and at luke 23 jesus invites all of us up to that cross to say you want to know how to get to heaven you want to know how to walk back into paradise? You walk back into paradise through the apex part of Christianity. What's the highest point of Christianity? The cross. Guys, what I just said to you is an absolute and total, utter paradox of nonsense. 
the apex of Christianity is death on a cross. Who founds anything worth founding on the death of an execution? You would think our faith would be built on his victory. Our faith would be built on him overthrowing an empire. Our faith would be built on his power. But our faith is built on his death. See, you are climbing a ladder. It's just not a ladder of your success, your perseverance, your fasting, your giving. You're climbing straight up onto that cross with Jesus. That's the only climb you need. Taking the old you and depositing into who he is. Letting Jesus, he who dies on that cross, engulf and take in all that you are. Not only are we climbing that ladder onto his death, quite frankly, Jesus is the ladder we're climbing. Jesus is the step the rung that we, we walk up. If you have a theology of ladder climbing Christianity, what that really means is that you believe that there's a God somewhere who's beckoning you onward through your performance and your perseverance and your faithfulness. And as long as that's the way that you view God, there is a permanent degree of separation between God and your next good work. And that separation is exacerbated by your next bad work. Because if you can go up a ladder, by God, you can go down one. And what happens is that theology morphs into climb through your performance, slip through your failures. Slip and fall away from his presence. And, and how many of you realize if that's where God is, if that's the distance between you and God, there's no permanent residence of God in your heart. There's no heaven on this earth. There's no God speaking promises into the land that you live on. The ladder that you climb is to simply step into where he is in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. Let me show you how Paul says it. Let's, let's close here. Romans chapter 6. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 6 verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, our old man was crucified with him. If you've never bothered to emphasize or underline the word was, that's a pretty important one right here. Our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away. That's a Greek phrase meaning rendered inoperative that the body of my sin has been rendered inoperative that we should no longer be slaves of sin this is not a maybe this is a done deal we have ascended the ladder into his death the ladder that we climb is moving right up onto the cross with jesus knowing that our old man is crucified with him so that he can do away with all that i used to be what I found is that until I believed that my old Paul White had met its death in Jesus, I kept trying to reform Paul White. And my challenge to you is if you find yourself in Christian reform school, which is where you are always trying to reform your actions, reform your attitude, reform your lifestyle, under the guise that by reforming, you'll get closer to God. 
I want to challenge you to climb the ladder onto his cross and lay yourself there and say, I was crucified with Christ the day I met him. And I want to realize that the old me is still there, crucified with Christ. He's not getting off the cross, running around. The old me is still crucified with Christ. And I don't have to climb this spiritual ladder. I'm already there. I've stepped into the death of Christ so that I can step into the resurrection of Christ so we no longer are slaves of sin, verse 7, because he who has died has been freed from sin. You want to know what that, free, that word freed is in the Greek? He who has died has been cleared from sin. And what in the world does that mean? It means you're clear. Let me, let me change the phrasing. You're in the clear. Good news. You're in the clear. He that has died with Christ in the clear. Paul doesn't even try to hint that you won't mess up again. You are no longer a slave to the death of humanity. Nothing for you to fear. Resurrection is your destination. You are in the clear. Now, if you're in the clear, what are you still climbing for? If you're climbing for favor, or you're climbing for goodness, why would you do that if you're in the clear? When does our ladder stop being a ladder into higher heights and deeper depths? And just realize that the highest place I could ever go on a ladder in God is to the cross. I can't climb past it. I climb to the cross. I accept his death as my death. And I come out in a resurrection. Abandon ladder climbing Christianity. Get rid of it. Realize that he came down the ladder to reach you. And all he asks is that you walk up that ladder to his cross. Accept that you are in the clear. I like that phrase. What are you in God's eyes? In the clear. Why? Because you read enough, prayed enough, fast enough, went enough, joined enough churches, witnessed to enough people. If you're not careful... That'll sneak in. Remember what I preached to you a couple months ago about the Pharisee and the publican? How the Pharisee stands in the temple and goes, God, I pay tithes and I do all this good stuff. And then the publican comes in, hangs his head, beats his breast. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I told you at the end of that message that what a lot of us really think the publican ought to do is get right with God and then bring the Pharisee's prayer and pray it next week because we really think the Pharisee's got it right. His heart's just not in the right place. We actually admire his actions. We just think his heart's in the wrong place. And that if the publican would get his heart right with God, he'd act like the Pharisee. He'd just be saved. You can act like the Pharisee. You can act like the publican. The answer to heaven coming into your hell is not doing the good, reciting the prayer, and stopping the bad. It's climb that ladder onto his cross and accept that you're in the clear. And if you don't accept you're in the clear, you're going to try to go get in the clear. And it's you trying to get in the clear that makes a fool of the cross. Because it's you trying to tell God, I've done a bunch of stuff this week. I deserve some favor. And God goes, did you do more than Calvary? 
Because that's where I poured it all out. See, that's the best I've got is the cross. And at the end of the day, the cross is a bit of an insult because that's where things die. We want to go to where things live. You go, but you've got to understand the only way to live is to go in through his death. Because God looked down at humanity and saw us enslaved to death. And guess what God had never done? God had never died. And so he became one of us to free us from the fear of death. And went, okay, I did this. Now if you'll enter into mine, I'll take yours, you can have mine. I'll take the old you, you can have the new me. Oh, by the way, you're in the clear. Because if you're not in the clear, you're not going to trust the new life. You're just going to keep trying to pay for your old one. You know why we need to tell people they're in the clear? Because if they're not in the clear, they carry debt consciousness. And they keep trying to pay God back. I spent a long time trying to pay God back. I don't want to stand in front of another group of people and not release them from paying God back. It's my call. Evangelize the evangelized. Take grave clothes off of resurrected people. Tell my people they're in the clear. And that it's an insult to the ladder of the cross for them to try to climb past it. On up to heaven with their good works. Just doesn't work. And it was never my heart. It was never my heart for them to climb that ladder. All the way back to Jacob. Jacob, you stay right there. I'm going to come down there and bless your socks off. And God is saying to you right where you are, you stay right there. I'm, I'm bringing heaven down to you. And the only ladder I ask you to climb, come on up here to the cross with me. Accept my death as your death. Get ready. Because my life's going to be your life. You're in the clear. The ladder you climb, the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of it. We're in the clear. It's not God's will. A couple thoughts as we close it. It's not God's will to repay you according to merit. If you waited for God to repay you according to merit, you'd never be repaid in the positive. You would always be in debt. You would always owe. God wants nothing to do with a merit-based program of grace. I believe that God is claiming for himself all of those who've been lost to the slavery of death. That's the entire family of man. And he entered death so that he could overcome it. The only thing he asks us to do is enter that with him. I accept your death as mine. You go, this is, this is the million dollar question. Pastor, what's that really look like? I accept your death as mine. You got to let go of the old you if you're really accepting his death as yours. And a lot of us have not let go of the old us. Even though we, we're, and I'm air quoting claim Christianity, and I don't mean we're not Christian. It doesn't mean we're not saved when I do this. It just means we claim a Christianity in which we're still holding on to our old man trying to fix him. There's nothing to fix. Your old man's dead. You've got to lead it, let him go. You're in the clear. What you do is accept his life as your life. And, then you, and, and part of that is just bringing that old man. When, he, when that old man surfaces and you've got to do a little spiritual reform, we've well, got to fix this. Uh, I've got I to read more. I've got to do more. I'm missing out. God's gonna, God wants to bless me, but I'm just not properly positioned. That's when you know you've tried to resuscitate the old you and prop him up in front of God and fix him. And you want to just be honest with God and go, look, my old me would be trying to buy you off right now, God. I'd, I'd give a little more in the offering. I'd promise to go to church next weekend. I'd witness the two dudes at work. But you know what? I am 
I am not in the buy you off business to reform the old me. That old me is dead. I want whatever you want from me. I want to be whatever you want me to be. I accept my life in Christ by faith and I bring you all my stuff. And then don't freak out. God's not scared of your stuff. I mean, he knows all your problems anyway. Who are you hiding from? You just drag all that out in the open and lay it before God and go, here's what I really am. I want what you really are. And I think that's when we get down to business and God goes, you know what? We can do something now because you brought everything you are to me. That's the only ladder I ever asked you to climb. Just bring all your junk right on up here to me and just let's crucify it on the cross. And then we're going to raise you up into a newness of life. And then I want you to, don't, don't you dare walk out of this prayer meeting and go back out there and try to reform. Because all that says is that you don't accept my new life. You still think you've got to crucify a couple things in your old life. You're in the clear. Now go live like it. And that's exciting life to me. That's an exciting life. I still catch myself trying to grab on those old dusty ladder rungs of Christian performance once in a while. Think, you know, I need to do this. This would be... I need God to do something in my life. You know, we're going to buckle down. We're going to buckle down right here. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna work through this book right here. God's going to show me something. God goes, there's a little, there's a little tape. That, son, what I sense in that, I smell a little bit of the old you, the old corpse. I smell a little bit of the old corpse trying to grab on the old ladder rung there, son. I, I, don't need, I don't need to reform. I don't need this reform business. Why don't you just let me do this work? And I found that out of that, Bible reading becomes beautiful. Prayer time becomes precious. Going to church and being with my brothers and sisters isn't a burden. I'm not trying to pay God off. I'm not trying to buy God out. I'm not trying to pay God back. I'm not trying to climb the ladder. Go, boy, I'm two steps closer to heaven today. Off the ladder business. In the clear. And going right where I belong in Him. Here's what I really am. Take me. Do with me as you will. I want to walk this out with you. You walk this out with me. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for the, the beauty of your word. And I thank you for the preciousness of this group. This group so patiently lets that word enter their heart and waits to see what you'll do with it. I love that. And I think that, Father, as they have received this word tonight, I pray that you will do with it as you will that you would water it where it needs watered, germinate what needs germinate, bring out what you can bring out in each of us. We're all in a different stage of this journey, Father. I don't know where everyone in this is on their walk, but I know we're not climbing some ladder of performance trying to get into higher levels with you. Who do we think we are? You've came to us, and all you've asked is for us to die with you just to take the old us and lay it in the grave with Christ so the new us can live. Father, forgive us for all the places where we've taken the old man and tried to fix him, clean him up, prop him up before you as if he's worthy. And Lord, where we've lied about him, may we be honest, lay before you what we really are and receive what you really are. I thank you that, Father, we're in the clear. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.